Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking to Annalie Blundell about how to influence with impact. First, let me tell you about Annalie. Voted as one of YMAG's top 10 women to watch in 2019, Annalie's passion for decoding people and performance dynamics make her a sought-after speaker, mentor and leadership expert. She makes the complex job of understanding why people do what they do and how to get the best out of them both accessible and entertaining. Annalie works with leaders to increase their influence, engagement and interpersonal impact for better business results. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Annalie. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Well, we are very excited to have you here. We. Listen to me, the royal we. I'm very excited to have you here. Before we really explore influence and why that should be important in the boardroom, let's, as always, dig a little bit deeper about you. Tell me, how did you get into coaching? Because you started out your life at ANZ Bank, didn't you? So there seems to have been a few twists and turns in there. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. I did start out at the bank. Don't hold that against me. I did start out at the bank. Um, I had a wonderful career at the bank. But you do get to a point, or I certainly got to a point where I thought, you still have to pay me to come to work. You know, I'm not doing this out of the goodness of my heart as much as I enjoyed my job and the people around me. And I really just wanted to find that work or vocation that felt like a passion and that you really didn't have to pay me although I do accept payment just FYI (laughs) kind of like you know like an artist or a dancer or, or something like that so I stumbled across coaching one thing led to another and here I am 15 years later you know having done all manner of iterations from coaching one-on-one coaching teams and groups and then it leads to leadership development across the organization next thing you know you're on stages and you're writing books and you think hang on I just signed up for a coaching course what happened 
Oh, it's so wonderful to hear about people's backgrounds and where they came from. And, and I know, I can't quite remember when I met you. I think it was probably six years or so through the equally fabulous Korean armour. And, you know, another person who totally loves what she does. And you can just tell when people are energised and passionate about what they do. And you are clearly one of those people. You mentioned in there, uh, uh, in terms of people who love what they do, much like being a dancer. Now, can I just dig a wee bit here? Because I understand that you might be a salsa dancing addict. Tell me more. Yes, you may be absolutely correct. I confess I am a salsa dancing addict. I do have a penchant for the old dancing. I, I did grow up doing lots of dancing when I was young, dance classes, ballet, jazz, modern, funk, all that sort of stuff. And as I got older... No, I never did tap. I never did tap dancing. No, that was not on, the, not on my radar. But as I got older and much less flexible, I sort of <laughs> gravitated to salsa dancing because I don't know if anyone out there realises, but it is the most brilliant way to keep fit without even mm-hmm. noticing. Yes, could not agree more as... As some who listen to this podcast might already know, uh, I used to dance and teach modern jive and the the catchphrase for lebop dancing, which is who I was dancing with, was get fit by accident. It's so much fun. You just have fun, but it's it's quite energetic and quite strength building as well. So, uh, and... Well, you know, at the competitions, there might be a little bit of glitter going around as well, which is never a bad thing either. It is absolutely mandatory in my book, I have to say. There must be glitter or it is not real. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm, I wonder how I can work it so that we can get more glitter in the boardroom. Hmm. That might take me a little bit of work. (laughs) So then... Thinking about the not very glittery but equally important boardroom, you know a lot about influence with impact and I know from my discussions uh, with people in the boardroom, it is one of the common themes about influence. Influencing your co-directors, influencing management, influencing the chair, influencing key stakeholders, it is everywhere, this concept of influence. What are the keys to influence? Well, the key to influence is really understanding who your audience is. You know, I mean, influence Mm. is just good communication on steroids, really. So it's the basic principles of good communication. And rule number one, always, always, always is to know your audience. Who's in the room? Who are they in relation to you? Who do they care about? What do they care about? Why is this topic important to them? If you don't know why it's important to them, chances are it may not be important to them. And then no matter, you know, how compelling you are or what evidence you have or what your business case is, if you don't know why it's important to them, then you don't give them a frame Mm. for listening. So rule number one is know your audience. That really, that has to be it. Mm. So for people who are, let's say, trying to influence their colleagues in the boardroom, In fact, it doesn't even need to be the colleagues. It could be the chair. It could be other stakeholders. How do people find that out without saying to that group or that person, I need to know more about you so I can influence you? How do people find that out? Well, one of the cool things about the topic we're talking about now is that 
we're dealing with a group of people who have to cultivate informal influence because they don't have positional power. You know, you and I are colleagues, we're peers on this board. You're not my boss. Sure, there's a chair and, mm. and, and all that sort of stuff. And there are sort of some boundaries around that. But for the most part, it's, it's informal influence is what we're dealing with. Mm. So we joke and say, without being able to say, what's important to you? How do I influence you? You can actually say that. So there's a number of ways we can do it. So we can kind of surmise what might be important to them, what kind of person they are, how they like to be communicated with, or we can just ask them. <laughs> so let's mm. go with you know a couple of scenarios. So you might set an intention to create some opportunities for discussion that are relationship building. So whenever I'm working with people at an informal level, so it's, it's peers, we're on a working committee, whatever the case is, I know that I'm going to need buy-in from them at some point. I want to know mm. as much as I can about them. I want to know who they are. I want to know what they value, what their challenges are, what their pain points are, what their goals are. And that can just come out of general conversation. So, you know, why did you join this board? What's important to you about governance? You know, what are your thoughts around this industry? What experience have you had? Blah, 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 blah. Just general get to know you questions. The more mm. they talk about repeatedly about certain things or topics, if they use the same word again and again, it's a good indicator that it's a value for them, right? So if they say mm. something like, you know, it's all around making a difference. You know, I joined this board because I really want to make a difference. And, you know, I mm. love the industry we're in because I see that the organisation is really making a difference. When I hear that a couple of times, I put it in my pocket. And I say, right, making a difference is a big value for this person, service, contribution. So if I'm there trying to influence them, I might not go with something like, oh, we'll just, we'll make more money because that, yeah. they haven't mentioned it. It's not on their radar. For them, it's about contribution. It's about giving back. It's about service. They're the words that I will use. Know your audience, listen out for those things, put them in your pocket. What else is important for people when you're thinking about influence? Well, one of the things that we don't spend enough time thinking about is how people like to become convinced. And this is a huge mm. thing that runs at a below conscious level, but is really instrumental in getting buy-in. So mm. if you're on a board, one of the first things you really want to be able to understand, and FYI, I just want to, you know, just position this, that this is really advanced stuff. <laughs> so if you've been to, you know, um, influence trainings or anything like that in the past, it's likely that we have, you, you may not have come across these ideas. So this comes from the body of knowledge that helps us understand how people are likely to behave and communicate based on their below conscious drivers. So what do they, mm. what are they unconsciously paying attention to or driven by, motivated by, and how does that then find its way to their behavior and their communication? So I want to talk about one thing as an example, convince mm. them. So one of the things you want to look out for is how do people get convinced about an idea, about a project, about a person, about an idea? So there's a couple of things you can look at. So we either like to hear about it. We want to chat about it. We want to read about it. Maybe we want some information or some reports. Maybe we want to have a go at it. So we want to do the thing or use the product or whatever it is. 
or maybe we want to see it in action or observe something. So that's an example of four input channels, right? How do we get convinced? The next thing we want to ask is how many times do they need that information presented in order to become really convinced? Now, some mm -hmm. people are what we call automatic convincers. They just hear mm -hmm. a snippet of information, go, yes, that's it. I want that fridge. You know, <laughs> five-star rating, you had me at five-star rating, I'm in. Mm -hmm. Or we've got people who are convinced by a number of examples. So which fridge? Mm, fridge one, maybe fridge two, maybe fridge three. Oh, it's definitely fridge one. I've had enough to make a comparison, to make a decision. Some people are convinced over a period of time. Now, this might be overnight. You know, you hear some people say, oh, just let me sleep on it. Or can I come back yeah. to next week? You know, I just kind of need to sit with the information for a little bit. And that period of time is, can be different for different people. And the mm. final one there is being convinced by consistency. And this one's really tricky because it suggests that people are never quite convinced and you would know this. So, you, you know, you have a conversation with someone, you think they're on board and they say, yes, let's go ahead with that. And you come back next week and they say, so about that initiative, um, tell me again why we're doing it. Just tell me again. And you go through mm. all the information and all the examples and they go, oh, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah, okay, let's go ahead. And the same conversation happens next week and you think, haven't we had this conversation already? Like, weren't yes. you on board last week? What's happening? Now, if you take all those variances of how people become convinced, mm. you can see the opportunity to get it really wrong. If I'm an automatic convincer who likes to talk about things, that's how I become convinced. So show me the fridge. I just need to see a five-star energy rating. Tell me a little bit about it. Boom, I'll buy that fridge. And mm -hmm. I am trying to influence you and you need to sit on things for a couple of days and you need yeah. to yeah and you need to see it in action i'm there going yep. but it's a five-star energy rating what 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 else do you need like we're done aren't we aren't we done <laughs> every board I've, i'm on or been on you've got the person who needs to read things and is automatically convinced and then you've got the people who needs to see things but they want you know time and all of that stuff you've got them all in the room together how do you navigate that well, if you have the opportunity to put this conversation on the table as an explicit intervention to help the decision-making of the board, mm. that's the ultimate because you can then, yeah. I mean, this is the work I do, right? So part of the stuff I do is around individual profiling and team profiling. Mm. So trying to work out what those below conscious drivers are so that we can mm -hmm. put it all on the table and say, look, we're all convinced by different channels and we're all convinced yep. in different ways. How do we want to structure our information gathering and sharing so that when we're asked to make a decision in a meeting, everyone has everything they need in the timeframe they need, in the way they yeah. need, so that yeah. they can come to that meeting ready to make a decision. What are the profiling tools you use for that sort of conversation or for that sort of assessment of, say, a board? So I use a particular tool called the IWAM, which stands for the Inventory of Work, Attitudes and Motivations. So it mm -hmm. looks at 48 individual below conscious cognitive filters, basically, like what are the lenses yep. that we see our world through? And it's a brilliant tool because it's a context-based tool. You know, it's not who you are forever. You're always like this. It's in the context of this work at this point in time. 
here is what you're paying attention to and here's what's mm. driving your behavior at an unconscious level which creates the behaviors you're exhibiting and the way you're likely to communicate. So for example, if, if we don't have the opportunity to do that wonderful intervention, but you now know this stuff. So you might yeah. ask each individual person. So how do you know when to buy the right fridge? I don't know. Let's say, mm-hmm. how did you buy your last car? Or, you know, how do you make a decision about what initiative we should go with? How many times do you like that information presented? Well, I like to see at least three proposals. That gives me a good suite of things to consider. Or some people say, I just need to read the headline and a couple of bits of information and I just make a pretty quick decision. And you think to yourself, yep. automatic convincer. And you can just ask them, would you like to think about it overnight or about a week? Does that help you make a decision? Or is it pretty quick for you? Ask the question straight out and you think, get them to reflect on the past decisions they've made that are similar to Mm -hmm. the ones that you make in that board and in that group. And then you can just look back and say, you know what, Harry, oh, Harry, every time this conversation comes, every time we're looking for a decision, Harry says, well, have we checked and do we have enough examples? And, you know, we only saw one proposal and are we sure we've only got, you know, seven candidates enough to really make a good decision, you know, and I didn't get time to think about it. Can I come back to you after I've had time to think about it? And you think to yourself, ah, Harry, either he's a seven-time convincer (laughs) or he wants to think about it for a week and you build that into the process. Do the work for them so they don't have to do the work that they're not even aware needs to be done. Yes. Yeah, right. So, yeah, it's part of that really understanding yourself and everybody else as well around you because my guess is that often people use the convincer methods that suit them on everybody else. Oh, yes, you've got it in one. So, you know, this is where, is it the golden rule that says treat everyone the way you wish to be treated? You know, you've heard that saying. Yes. Yeah. And I say yes, except in the context of communication and influence. And in this case, you treat people the way they want to be treated So you communicate with people the way they want to be communicated to because that's most influential. Unless it's about values, i.e. treat people with dignity, treat people with respect the way you want to be Mm -hmm. treated, yeah, at a values level. Mm -hmm. If we're Mm -hmm. talking about communication style and influence, it's the exact opposite. Treat them as they want to be treated. Okay, so... Keys to influence is that knowing your audience, knowing how they are convinced, knowing how they want the information, how often they want it, all of those sorts of things. What are some of the things that get in the way? Particularly around boards, one of the things I find really fascinating when it comes to barriers in terms of being influential, being compelling and really having the level of impact that you could have, imposter Mm. syndrome comes up. Uh, Yes. That old chestnut. And I say that because typically what happens is as people rise through the ranks of an organization and become more and more senior, they grapple more and more with imposter syndrome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you would know being on a board is kind of the top of the tree, (laughs) you know. And so this is where imposter syndrome can really get out of control. 
if you yeah. are second guessing your value, then you are mm-hmm. unconsciously inviting other people to second guess your value, second guess your mm. value. So for me, imposter syndrome is something that we need to really acknowledge, embrace and do the work on so that we have backed ourselves. We've given ourselves permission to be in that room, to be in that role. I mean, in sales, there's a saying, the first sale is always to yourself, right? And so imposter syndrome is certainly one of those things. And the mechanics of imposter syndrome from what I see with all my clients and you know I coach people who are on boards I coach CEOs I coach people who are very that imposter syndrome is rife for men and for women it's both genders women tend to talk about it more they Mm. acknowledge it more often men outwardly less so but in the privacy of a coaching conversation just as much as women Mm -hmm. that's good for people Mm. to know And so when it comes to imposter syndrome, what I notice happening is it all comes down to your focus. See, what happens is we assume or we start thinking about the fact that we're in this room, we're in this group of highly accomplished individuals who are very good at what they do. And it starts us thinking about comparisons of ourselves against them. Oh, am I as good as them? Am I as experienced or as accomplished as them? Do I know as much as they do? And we have to really think about the danger of that focus. When your focus is on the comparison or the gap between the two of you, you, you're always going to be less than someone. I mean, (laughs) it's easy, right? Everyone is better than you at something and you are better Mm -hmm. at some things than lots of people. So your area of focus is what's getting you into trouble and really flaming imposter syndrome. So I try and help people shift that focus to remembering why they're on that board. So for example, Mm -hmm. even if you're new to the industry, even if you're new to that board as a, you know, first time board member, doesn't make you any less valuable. You've got beginner's mindset. You've got the power of those naive questions. As long as you have the ability to think and challenge, it can be less about what you know and more about how you think that can be the value. Yes. We're having this exact conversation in one of the groups the other day about being new board members and that when you're new to a group, it doesn't have to be a board, it can be any group, when you're new, you see things that others don't see and that's actually the value that you bring, that you are seeing things that when people have been around for a few years, they can't see that. That's right, because we've been in the water for so long, we've forgotten the temperature. We don't, you know, we're not realising what's going on. And also there's a sense that, you know, you're on that board for a reason. It's really important Mm. that we remember we have been chosen for a reason. So someone has seen something in you that you may have Mm. believed was there because that's why maybe you put yourself forward for this, but you've forgotten. So you're on there because of your unique skills, perspectives, experience, background, whatever it is. It doesn't matter how it compares. In fact, I would suggest that if it doesn't compare um, equally, then you're on the right board because we want people with diverse backgrounds. I don't want to be Mm -hmm. as good a lawyer as Fred or Nancy because 
they've already got a good lawyer in Fred or Nancy, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yep, exactly. Bringing that difference is exactly the contribution you make. So you'd said earlier about, which was interesting, about acknowledging imposter syndrome, which is part of, I think, what you're talking about here, and embracing it. Is that what you mean by coming up that area of focus? Is that what you mean? Because, I, you know, people often try and avoid imposter syndrome rather than embrace it. Yes, they do. And just like any negative emotion, for example, if you're learning meditation, they will tell you, don't try and get rid of your thoughts. You think you're human. (laughs) You're not going to get rid of your thoughts. You let them float by, you know, you watch them as they go. So when you're learning meditation, you don't stop your thinking, you allow your thinking to change, you change the quality of your thinking. With imposter Mm. syndrome, we don't need to get rid of it. We can use it as an indicator that we have forgotten Mm. our own value and to come back to the reasons why we were invited or why Mm. we put our hand forward in the first place to join that board. Because chances are, if you're having a flare-up of imposter syndrome, your focus is on the value of others. Yeah, they're so Mm. good at, they Mm -hmm. were wonderful, look at their experience. So as soon as you flip it back and go, well, hang on, what am I bringing? What's my experience? What's my value? What's my perception that's of value here? And how is that unique? Because it needs to be unique. Otherwise, you'll be the same as everyone else on the board and that's not a good board. (laughs) Imposter syndrome is an indicator that you're probably on a good board for you. You're different from others. You've got a different experience and background. So it's an excellent indicator. You're in the right place. That is such a lovely way of thinking about it, that it's a good reminder for us that we're in, in the right place. It's often how I think about, anyway, diversity in some ways, is that if you come out of a boardroom and everybody's thinking, fantastic, we've all definitely, definitely made the right decision, that could, in fact, be a red flag around groupthink. Whereas if you come out thinking, oh, we were really tested in that conversation and I'm not entirely convinced, well, possibly I'm someone that therefore needs to consistency Or it might just be that there is a really diverse group that is making that decision and therefore is testing everybody out, which makes us a bit less confident in the decision, even though it's a better decision. Yes. And in fact, this is, you know, I do a lot in the space of diversity and gender and stuff like that. Mm. And, you know, there's this great push for diversity on boards as well. And we don't realise that diversity without understanding is just difference. So if we're, we're just putting lots of different people on the board and not building in our understanding of how to work with that difference, how to appreciate Mm. and incorporate the difference, then we're not truly getting the value. So what happens is you may be uncomfortable in the discussions. You may be pushed and challenged and it might feel not complete. It might feel a bit, you know, um, I don't know, just not as good as it could be when everyone agrees. And so Mm. you want to be embracing a sense of discomfort or feeling challenged or maybe feeling like you're not quite sure about this in terms of you know everyone being on the same page because as you say it's likely to indicate that you've taken on board you know robust thinking yeah which will actually give you the better outcome yes oh my goodness that is a whole other wonderful rabbit hole that we could go down that we don't have time for today oh Such a fabulous conversation today. So what are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? 
When it comes to your role on the board and your ability to influence with impact, the first thing I want people to understand is that if you feel like you're not up to the task, it's an indicator that you're very much up to the task. You just need to refocus Mm -hmm. your thinking to remind yourself of the unique value and perspective that you have. So the first tip is to own your value. Remember, the first sale is always to yourself. You can't expect mm-hmm. people to buy you and buy your ideas if you're not even, you know, lining up to pay your money <laughs> for yourself. Yeah. And the second thing I'd say is cultivate curiosity. So, you know, the rules of influence is around understanding your audience and asking questions and paying attention to language and key words. Mm-hmm. So once you cultivate that sense of curiosity, you open your mind to start hearing people at different levels. You'll start noticing things like, oh, I just need to sit on that for a little bit. You know, I was, ref- I was reflecting last week on and think, oh, convinced after a period of time, there's been many mentions of reflection and thinking and over time and, oh, I'll put that in my pocket. So cultivate mm. curiosity. Is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Absolutely. So uh, myself, along with two brilliant co-authors, Corinne Armour and Belinda Cohen, we wrote a book called Developing Direct Reports, Taking the Guesswork Out of Leading Leaders. And this is a book that looks at the 12 globally recognised leadership derailers. And it's a really useful book for leaders who are leading leaders. You know, so how is the leader managing or developing their team? Are they a micromanager? Are they a bullet a gate? You know, are they not delegating? Are they a guardian and won't innovate? So, you know, we took some of these key derailers and put them in this book and created a, a chapter per derailer that talks about these are the outside behaviours that you're likely to see and this is the inside mm. intention that's going on. You know, when you're a micromanager, your intention is to protect quality, to do a great job. And yet in the process, you snuff the life out of somebody. So, <laughs> And from a board perspective, you are always dealing with the leadership team. So having yeah. a resource like this, and, and you can use this stuff for helping you understand the people around you in that room. You know, yeah. what are the patterns yeah. of behaviors you're seeing? What's the intention behind that? Remember, this is about cultivating that curiosity So there's a manual for it. I'm pretty sure I've got a few spare copies of your book around. And I reckon what we do is, folks, if you're listening to this, get in touch with me. All my details are in the show notes and tell me maybe how you have owned your own value or recognised your value or how you have cultivated curiosity. And let's give a couple of them away to people who want to, you know, explore more about influence and impact what do you reckon boom soul to the highest bidder yes <laughs> i think that's a brilliant idea let's do it <laughs> excellent so get in touch folks i'll put a post over in the facebook group as well and people can respond there or email or whatever you know organically we'll make that work somehow <laughs> oh fantastic thank you so much it's been magnificent to have you here today and to have this conversation I knew you would have a wealth of tips and tricks for people around influence and around imposter syndrome which is such a common conversation for people so thank you for sharing your wisdom with the take on board community today you're so welcome it was my absolute pleasure hi there it's Helia that's a wrap for the take on board podcast today 
I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.